Welcome to Our Lord's Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. Our desire for you as you listen is to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures and to be mobilized to actively bring God's kingdom to the earth. For more information on who we are, visit OLCC.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at OLCCOKC. So this morning we are starting a new series, and it's not 811 parts like Revelation. We're going to do four or five weeks on the ministry of Jesus. Today we're going to look at the kingdom of God and our overall aim. You getting some feedback or is that just me? Can we, maybe we can swap the mic out or something. Ah, there we go. See, Jesus does heal. Heals microphones. So our overall aim in this series is to look at the ministry of Jesus and to look at how he ministered and served others in the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is particularly important as we officially join the Vineyard Association of Churches. The Vineyard Movement worldwide is known for bringing together the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. These are values that we've shared for many years, but we are committed to worship and song and sacrament, to worship in the Word, and to the works of Jesus. And so we're going to spend some weeks looking at how Jesus did works of the kingdom. So today we're going to look at the kingdom of God because that really undergirds everything. If you see Jesus for a moment in the Gospels, he is talking about the kingdom. He's expressing the kingdom. He's demonstrating the works of the kingdom. And then next week we're going to look at prayer because prayer undergirds Jesus' entire life and ministry, and it should ours as well. He is our model. And then the third week, we're going to look at healing. We're going to look at the way that Jesus prayed for the sick and how he was committed to seeing the Father restore people in their bodies, their souls, and their spirits. Then the next week, we're going to look at deliverance, something that doesn't get talked about enough, and that is how captives are set free through the power of the Holy Spirit from Satan, sin, sickness and disease and then lastly we're going to look at how Jesus multiplied himself and gave us a model for multiplying ourselves through discipleship as he did so today get your bible ready get because we are going to be rifling through a number of texts typically we take one passage and we walk through it kind of meditate on it together and today we are going to be moving through the gospels And so I want you to to be prepared for that. You can take notes. And what I want us to think about today is cultivating a kingdom paradigm. What do I mean by that? It's a way through which to view the world. And so Jesus had at the forefront of his mind and in his message and in his ministry the kingdom of God. And so I want us to think about strengthening a kingdom paradigm through which to view other people, to view ourselves, to view the world in which we move so that we expect the kingdom of God to break through for the rule and reign of Jesus to break through and touch people's lives. Before we do that, I want to take a moment here. I want to recommend a couple of books 
because we, do, we value the Word of God above all things. We're a people of one book in that respect, but we really do. We're into learning and studying and immersing our mind, minds in the truths of Scripture. So we have a resource center out there. Some of you are familiar with it, but I would encourage you to spend some time looking at the books. There's all kinds of things in the resource center that reflect our vision, our values, our mission as a church. And one thing we're just going to be talking about more and more and more in the coming days is the kingdom of God. It's really one of the key threads in the whole of Scripture. If, if it was important for Jesus, it should be important for us. It should be central. So I want to recommend a couple of books, and they're out there. I've got them on the, the table where they're highlighted, and one of them is called Breakthrough, and it's by a South African gentleman from the vineyard named Derek Morphew, and it's about discovering the kingdom. In the Old Testament, the New Testament, it is a fantastic read. It's wonderful. And the other, which is also out there, is called The Gospel of the Kingdom. And it's Biblical Studies in the Kingdom of God by George Ladd. And these are terrific books. This one's a little shorter, maybe a little more uh, dense, but they're both fantastic books to have around and to read and, and look at, even to open up and look at a chapter here and there. So today we're going to look at the ministry of Jesus, but before we do that, the kingdom of God is a massive concept, isn't it? And so I want us to just take a moment here before we dive into the Gospels and look at the ministry of Jesus. The kingdom started at the beginning of the story. In Genesis 1, 2, and 3, we see that God, as the creator, is the king over all of creation. And he created a garden, and he placed man and woman in the garden to bear his image, but he also created them to co-rule and reign with him. And we know the story that Satan, the serpent, intervened and messed up the initial plan by tricking man and woman into serving themselves. And so really the rest of the story from Genesis all the way to Revelation is God restoring his image bearers to rule and reign with him. What does he say? He says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. So we see a little glimpse of the kingdom there from the beginning of the story. Then if you read on in the book of Exodus, you see yet again the rule and reign of God, a glimpse of it breaking into human history in order to liberate and deliver oppressed people. And the story develops and we see in Exodus 15, for example, it's the first time in all of Scripture where God, the rule and reign of God is overtly mentioned. And so it says in the Song of Moses, where the people are celebrating, the people of Israel are delivered by Yahweh, by the Lord, from Egypt and from Pharaoh, and they celebrate in Exodus 15. And they say that the Lord is a warrior and a king who has saved them, judged his enemies, and that he reigns forever and ever. So we see another glimpse of the kingdom of God from the beginning of the biblical narrative. And then the prophets. Again, we've talked about this before, but I'm just sketching this so that it makes a little more sense so that we see the context into which Jesus comes. The prophets prophesy over and over again, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, that the kingdom of God will be progressively established 
among the nations of the earth. We've seen Daniel talk about this, and Daniel, if you remember, talks about a series of world empires that will oppress God's people, that God will judge, and that one day God's king, God's messianic king and deliverer will come and establish a kingdom that will never end. And so this is the hope of Israel. It's the hope of all the prophets. And this sets the stage when Jesus comes on the stage in the Gospels. And the first thing we see in Mark 1.15, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, we'll have it up here on a slide. But the first thing about Jesus in the kingdom is that he inaugurates the kingdom of God. This is the central theme. George Ladd says this is the integrating center of the entire message and ministry of Jesus. Mark 1, 14 to 15 says this. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. So Jesus, from the beginning of his ministry, is introducing, he's inaugurating, he's launching the kingdom of God. The one that's prophesied and anticipated by the prophets. So the dynamic kingly rule and reign of God the Father Almighty, it was the time, it was the moment predicted by all the Old Testament prophets and it was breaking in in his person. And friends, it's good news, isn't it? Isn't it what the text says? This is good news. But it calls for repentance. Repentance is a good word. It's basically Jesus saying the kingdom is here, the king is here, and it's time to wake up. What is it in your life that is distracting you, that's turning you away from the love of God? Turn from it. Turn to the love of God. That is what Jesus is saying here. Enter into and experience the kingdom of God. And we'll see that this involves submitting ourselves to the will of the king. It's what Jesus was saying. He was saying, submit yourself to the love of God, to the power of God, to the will of God. What's happening? I wanted to show you a slide here, and this is helpful. It's the age to come is invading. Look at that top arrow there. The age to come, the promised rule and reign of God in all of its fullness breaks through at the first coming of Jesus there. If you see on the, the upper left, the age to come, the kingdom of God in all its fullness is breaking through into this age. And it's overlapping. It's a great mystery as we'll see Jesus talk about in Matthew 13. But friends, the age to come, the power of God, the will of God, the kingdom of God has broken in with the arrival of Jesus, with the incarnation of Jesus, with the preaching of Jesus, with the healing of Jesus, with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The kingdom is here in a mysterious way. We'll see that it didn't come in the way that many of the Jewish leaders and people thought that it would come, but the kingdom is here one of my favorite analogies, word pictures of this, you can put up the next slide, was introduced by a Lutheran theologian, 
about 40 years ago, and he proposed this word picture to help us understand the presence of the kingdom of God now and in the future. He used World War II as a word picture, and he says in June of 1944, the Allied troops stormed the beaches of Normandy in northwest France and pushed the German army all the way back to Germany. And this is an actual photograph of that moment with all of the ships and with all of the tanks, with all of the troops coming and storming the beach at Normandy. And this event became known as D-Day. But then, for 11 months, almost an entire year, fierce fighting continued. And there were thousands of casualties. But the German army finally surrendered and ceased fire. And that day, as it says up here, became known as V-Day in the spring of 1945. Likewise, through the life, the ministry, the death, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus, the kingdom of God has been decisively inaugurated in human history. D-Day is here. Christ has defeated Satan and his entire kingdom. It's crumbling, even though it may not look like it. We're in this interim period between Christ's D-Day and the day of victory. The powers of darkness have been defanged. Christ has overcome death itself. As Christians, we have nothing to fear. Nothing to fear. We don't fear sickness. We don't fear COVID. We don't fear the possibility of being persecuted by any government because the kingdom of God is here and yet it's already and not yet. A second thing, look at Luke 17, 21. I warned you that we would be moving through a number of texts here. Luke 17, 21 shows us a second thing about the kingdom, and this is that Jesus embodies the kingdom of God. Actually, we'll read Luke 17, 20 to 21, and if you want to grab a pew Bible, they're around as well. You can look at it on your phone, but you might want a hard copy there. Luke 17, 20 to 21, and what's happening here in the chapter is Jesus has just healed 10 lepers, and then he begins to speak about the kingdom of God. So at verse 20, once Jesus was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God was coming, and he answered, the kingdom of God is not coming with things that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is. For in fact, the kingdom of God is among you. That is, the kingdom of God was not going to come in the way that the religious leaders and others thought that it would, as a geopolitical force that would come and crush Rome, their oppressors. Rather, the kingdom of God had come in the person and mission of Jesus. Do you want to know what the kingdom of God is, what it looks like, how it affects people? Look at Jesus. And he was telling them the kingdom 
is among you. It is here. Look at the king is here. Ah, it's good. Now Christ will explain later on, and we'll look at this, especially in Matthew 13, when he teaches about the mysterious presence of the kingdom of God, the kingdom is subtly permeating the world around us, much like leaven, leaven's bread. And so what Christ is saying, even in this moment in Luke 17, the king is here, the kingdom is here, and it's permeating culture, whether they realize it or not. It's permeating the hearts of people from all the nations, and it's secretly growing and expanding as people submit to the rule and reign of God. Friends, the kingdom of God is embodied in the person of Jesus. I was trying to think of who else embodied something so that you could see it. I've got a slide up here of Bruce Lee there on the left. Some of you know because you've seen this movie, The Way of the Dragon, that is Bruce Lee, and on the right, you probably can't identify, that is Chuck Norris himself. 1972 film, and when I was thinking about how Jesus embodies the kingdom, I think Bruce Lee embodies martial arts. So if you just see an image of this dude, you think he exudes the essence of martial arts. Likewise, with Jesus, if you see him, you see him in action, you are seeing the kingdom of God in action, on full display, in full color. Christ embodies, he personifies the kingdom of God. And thankfully, Christ has defeated Satan, not Chuck Norris, but Satan A third thing, look at Luke 4, Luke chapter 4, verse 43, and if you're interested in learning a good deal about the kingdom of God and relation to Jesus, read the gospel of Luke. All of the gospels speak about Jesus and the kingdom, but there's something in particular that Luke is emphasizing to his Gentile, his non-Jewish audience about the kingdom of God and educating them on the Jewish teaching and the Jewish expectation of the kingdom. Luke 4, at verse 43, but I'm going to read 440 to 44 so you can hear. As the sun was setting... All those who had any who were sick with various kinds of diseases brought them to Jesus. And Jesus laid his hands on each of them and cured them. Demons also came out of many, shouting, You are the Son of God. But Jesus rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Messiah. At daybreak... He departed and went into a deserted place, and the crowds were looking for him. And when they reached him, they wanted to prevent him from leaving them. At verse 33, Jesus says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. So he continued proclaiming the message in the synagogues of Judea. So Jesus' mission is the kingdom. Do you want to know what Jesus' overall purpose was? It's the kingdom of God. He was sent by the Father 
for the purpose of announcing the arrival of the kingdom of God. And as we'll see in the coming weeks, the mission of Jesus becomes the mission of us, the church, his followers. The Gospel of Luke talks about Jesus fulfilling this kingdom mandate and mission. And then Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, is actually part two. It's the church, the early church, fulfilling its kingdom mandate and mission. Fourthly, we're clicking through these here so that we have a good idea of the importance, the centrality of the kingdom in Jesus' ministry. A fourth thing here is Jesus declares the kingdom. Look at Luke 8, 1 to 3. Jesus declares, he proclaims, he announces the kingdom of God. Luke 8, 1. Soon afterwards, Jesus went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him, as well as some women who had been cured of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Herod, steward, Cusa, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their resources. It's interesting, on a side note here, Jesus' earliest followers were made up of these 12 and a number of women. And these women had been impacted by Jesus' kingdom ministry, particularly, what does the text say here? Deliverance and healing. These women had been impacted by Jesus setting them free, and so they became his disciples. We oftentimes don't think about that. That was a pretty revolutionary concept in the first century that women could join a band of disciples like that and be connected to a rabbi. And what does the text say? They were so impacted by the declaration and the ministry, the kingdom ministry of Jesus, that they supported the 12 and supported Jesus with their own money, their own resources. It's a beautiful window there. A fifth thing is that Jesus demonstrates the kingdom of God. Can hang a right in your Bible a little bit from Luke 8 and look at Luke eleven 20. I'm going to read eleven nineteen and 20. Jesus demonstrates the kingdom of God. How are we doing? Doing okay? The kingdom of God, there's nothing like this. And if you are interested in Jesus, then you are interested in the kingdom because it's what he was all about. His message, his person, Everything is saturated with the kingdom of God. And so it's important for us to look at this over and over again and recognize it, meditate on it, pray into it. Jesus, show us the kingdom. Show us the importance of this. Why was it so important to you? How did you declare the presence of the kingdom? How did you demonstrate it? Look at Luke eleven nineteen and 20. Jesus is basically answering the religious leaders that continue to harass him, don't they? They're always questioning him. Why do you do it this way? What are you doing? Who do you think you are? And so this is Jesus' response here at verse 19. Now, if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, it's the Lord of the flies, it's another name for Satan, by whom do your exorcists cast them out? So they had been saying, Jesus, you cast out demons because you're demonized. Ridiculous argument. 
Jesus says, therefore, they will be your judges. But he says at verse 20, but if it is by the finger, or Matthew says, by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come to you. So friends, we don't just talk about the good news. Jesus didn't just talk about it. It wasn't just words that God intervenes to save and rescue and deliver people. We also demonstrate it. When the Holy Spirit was moving powerfully in the 1990s, I got to see this like never before. It kind of ruined me in a sense. Steve Nicholson, who we've met, he's a mentor to our church, and he's going to be back in a month, next month, and spend a weekend with our leaders and with us. Steve and I were able in the 1990s to go to various countries, and I basically was in his hip pocket learning and observing and watching at about age 24, and I got to see the proclamation and the demonstration of the kingdom of God like never before. We were in Turkey, and some of you have heard this story. We were in Istanbul, Turkey, and one of the earliest churches, Protestant church plants in all of Turkey, and they would oftentimes have to meet in secret places, in homes, and we were meeting, and it was a gathering of about 50 people, and the presence of God was so strong among us this night. It was unreal. We had worshiped, we had some teaching, and then we had a little time of ministry, much like we do here. And as we were preparing to do this, Steve and I were facilitating and getting the Turkish believers ministering to one another, and I saw this group of four people come in through a back door, and they were all wearing black leather. And I thought, oh, brother, what is going on here? Got a little bit nervous, and they were all holding motorcycle helmets. It was rather intimidating, and the Spirit of God came on them as they came into the room, and Steve and I began to give prophetic words to them, some courage and boldness came, and the Lord began to speak to us about these four young people in their 20s, and the power of God fell on them. And they were all saved and born again that night, and then Jesus that night began to drive demons out of their lives, all four of them. They got saved, they got filled with the Holy Spirit, and demons got evacuated from their lives and it is because we don't just talk about the kingdom of God, but by the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we get to demonstrate it. And so, friends, we have a fresh invitation from the Lord in the coming days with our colleagues, with our friends, with our neighbors to cry out, Lord, would you let us not just talk about what it means to be in relationship with King Jesus, but would you demonstrate it? And, friends, we have the answers because God has the answers in this hour. And friends, there's a lot of demonized folks out there. What do I mean by demonized? I mean oppressed by the enemy, by all forms of darkness and addiction. And so the church has the answer because God has the answer. And so I saw these four people instantly touched, changed, delivered, and to this day, what is it, 30 years later, they are all walking with Jesus and making disciples all over Turkey. And they've been persecuted by the Turkish government, but they don't care. 
they're fearless. They encounter the king and the kingdom of God, and there's no stopping them. And that's who we are, and that's what happens when we see the Lord demonstrate the kingdom. A sixth thing here is Jesus deploys kingdom emissaries. What's an emissary? It's a representative. And I'm not going to spend much time on this. Actually, I'm going to skip over it because we're going to come back to it. But I'm just going to note here that Jesus not only does kingdom ministry, but he turns to his followers and he says, now it's your turn to do it. He models it for them. He shows them how to bring the message of the kingdom, what it means to be a part of the rule and reign of God, to submit to the will of God. He actually teaches them to pray in Matthew 6, 9. How does he teach them to pray? They say, Lord, teach us. And what's he say in Matthew 6, 9? You pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So he teaches them how to pray, and then he urges his followers in Matthew 9, 35 through 38. You can look at it later, and we'll dig into it in the coming weeks. But he tells his followers, start praying for workers. The harvest is plentiful. Look out there. It is white for harvest. Pray for the Lord to raise up workers, laborers. And then right on the heels of that, he says, you know what? Your God's answer to prayer is you. You're praying for your own mobilization, your own deployment, so get ready. I'm sending you out to do what I've been doing, to proclaim the kingdom, to announce the kingdom of God, and to demonstrate it. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. Friends, this is the Lord's will for us in the coming days. This is what our Lord's is going to be about We're going to proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom of God, and we're going to have Jesus deploy us, mobilize us, and send us out in fresh ways from the youngest to the oldest. Young people, there's nothing like this. The message of the kingdom, you can look into various things and ideas and life purposes, but there is nothing like giving yourself to the kingdom of God. Nothing like it. And saying, Lord, I'm yours. Let me be a kingdom vessel. Send me wherever you will. Let me carry the kingdom. A seventh thing here, quickly. There's ten of them, so I'm going to wrap up quickly. I'm going to skip a few. But Jesus clarifies the kingdom. John 6 talks about this. Look at John 6, 15, quickly here. Jesus clarifies the kingdom in John 6, 15. We saw that there were certain expectations of what the the kingdom would look like, and some of the Jewish people and many of the Jewish leaders had a preconceived idea of what it would look like, that God would send another David, a messianic king, and he would come and usher in a geopolitical kingdom that would liberate God's people and destroy God's enemies, particularly Rome. But look at what Jesus says in response to this in John 6, 15. When Jesus realized that they, it's the religious folks of the day who were anticipating the kingdom, they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. He withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Jesus was letting them know the kingdom of God doesn't come by human force or human agenda and timetable, 
but it's divine initiative. And he was saying, now's not the time, and it's not going to happen the way that you think. He stood before Pilate. He was a governor of the Roman province of Judea. So look at John 18. Again, Jesus clarifying what the kingdom of God is. Beautiful passage here. John 18, 33 through 36. Jesus standing before this leader, Pilate. Pilate enters the headquarters again. He summons Jesus and he asks him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, do you ask this on your own or did others tell you about me? And Pilate replied, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answers, my kingdom is not from this world. Let that sink in. My kingdom is not from this world. He's saying, my kingdom is not like yours, Pilate. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Friends, the kingdom of God is not like our kingdom. It's not like the ancient Roman Empire. It's not like the American Empire. It's not like you fill in the blank. It is a different kind of kingdom. For us, it looks upside down. The ruler of our kingdom hung upon a cross. And the true power of God was displayed in his full surrender to the Father. It is a kingdom of the cross. It's a kingdom of resurrection. It's a kingdom of love. It's a kingdom of gospel and transformation. And it's a kingdom where the kingdom spreads through his servants laying down their lives for one another. This is the kingdom. And it's the true way. The true kingdom way. Very quickly here, look at Revelation 1. We know this because we just spent a few weeks in the book of Revelation, but Revelation 1, 5 to 6, Jesus makes the kingdom possible. You see how important it is to the person of Jesus, to the message of Jesus, to the ministry of Jesus, the kingdom of God. As we saw recently when we looked at this text, Revelation 1, 5 to 6, through his shed blood on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, Jesus became the ruler of all the kings of the earth and he turns to his people and makes them kingly and priestly servants of God. Revelation 1 to 4, 1, 4 to 6 says this, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood. Look at verse 6. He made us to be a kingdom, priests, serving his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So Jesus makes the kingdom possible. He is the king. He brings the kingdom. He shows us what the kingdom is about Ninthly, Jesus concludes with the kingdom. Jesus concludes his time on the earth 
during his first coming, before his second coming, he concludes by talking about the kingdom. Again, look at Acts 1-6 quickly here. Acts 1 at verse 6. So when the disciples had come together, they asked Jesus, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set out by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus concludes his kingdom ministry with a Holy Spirit-empowered kingdom commission of his followers. And again, we're going to talk more about that. But it's so important to him that he concludes with the kingdom. And lastly here, we end with Revelation 19, 16. Jesus will return as king over the kingdom. We read this recently, but we should read it regularly. Remind ourselves. It's not just a message about the kingdom. It's not just demonstrating it, but we have a living hope. Jesus will return as king over the kingdom. Revelation 19, 11 through 16, we end with this. Then I saw heaven opened, and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, or crowns, and he has a name inscribed that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God and the armies of heaven wearing fine linen white and pure were following him on white horses from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the almighty and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name inscribed what is the name King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's say that together. King of kings and Lord of lords. So at his first coming, he was a slain lamb. But friends, at his second coming, he will come back as the supreme king over all the nations. And this is the one we follow. And this is why we are an unstoppable people. Christ was unstoppable. Death itself could not stop him. Death cannot stop us. In the coming days, we are fearless. We are courage because this is the one we follow. So, write this down. You can look at it later. I've been meditating on this because, friends, we don't beg for the kingdom. We don't have to say, oh, Father, please let us see the kingdom. Let us experience it. We've got to measure up. No, it's the mercy of God. The economy in the kingdom is mercy. It's actually not fasting. It's not prayer. It's not sacrifice. It doesn't depend on us. Friends, it is the mercy of God that begins and carries on and culminates the kingdom of God. Listen to this. Jesus says this in Luke 12, 32. Because his little group of people 
were disturbed as he was telling them, I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to be put to death. He says, do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The father wants to give us the kingdom for us to experience in 2021 the fullness of the kingdom of God. What's the text say? These are the words of Jesus. It's his good pleasure. He is, he is pleased to show us what the kingdom of God is and for us to be kingdom servants, to be kingdom emissaries. So Lord, we thank you for your word. Jesus, we thank you for showing us so clearly what the kingdom of God is all about. We acknowledge that you embody the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom? It's you, Jesus. You are the king. And this morning, we just gladly submit ourselves to the rule and reign of the Father. And we receive the kingdom afresh. Why don't we stand? And let's do, let's just take a moment here as we move into ministry time and just pray it out. Just take a moment to say, Lord, would you show us the kingdom? Show us the kingdom. Bring your kingdom. Let us see demonstrations of the kingdom of God in the coming days. So I'm going to ask the ministry team to come forward. And I'm just going to say this. Over the next several weeks, I expect the kingdom of God to break through in ways because when we talk about it, it's a testimony rooted in Scripture and the kingdom of God comes. So if you're sick in your body today, why don't you come up? and We'll have people pray for you. If you need a breakthrough in your personal life, in work, in a relationship, in marriage, come up. And let us appeal to the king with you. I'm going to need a few more kingdom emissaries to come up here. Next week, Connie's going to be talking about the role of prayer in the kingdom. And I asked her because she lives a life of prayer. And the Lord's given her some insight. So I would encourage you to come and be ready to dig into learning more about prayer in the kingdom of God.